This is about something that lights your fire when nothing else will. This is the Mark Devine Show. This show, we're going to discover and dive in and discuss what makes the world's most inspirational, compassionate, and resilient leaders so courageous. Transform the nature and functioning of our own brain for the better. Go put your virtues in action. Be the best version of yourself. Life is a practice. Day by day, and get wiser and stronger and grow. How do you understand enough about your own mind and psychology and emotions and how you develop a reflective awareness practice to actually get in the driver's seat of your own mind? We go in-depth with people from all walks of life, martial arts grandmasters, meditative monks, CEOs, military leaders, stoic philosophers, proud survivors, and more. Every episode turns our guest experience into actionable insights that you can learn from and lead a life filled with compassion and courage. I started putting all these little tools in my pocket, started to reflect a lot and meditate. There has to be a balance between movement and rest. It all starts with us. We cultivate these qualities in ourselves. We become a beacon of life for others in the world. Please join us on the journey. The Mark Divine Show. Hoo-yah. Well, I want to share some interesting information with you today. And uh, please do listen carefully to the end as the special offer includes some free gifts. A significant health problem today. People all over the world sleep. Yep. Majority of people lacking energy throughout the day. But these symptoms are actually from a bigger problem. It's difficult to gain control over, and that is sleep. Sleep can affect mood, hormones, weight gain, cardiovascular, pulmonary health. If you're finding yourself staring at the ceiling hours through the night or you're waking up in the morning feeling like you didn't get enough sleep, your sleep hygiene wasn't right, try a simple bedtime routine that works. All it takes is a glass of water and two safe magnesium breakthrough capsules 30 minutes before getting to the pillow. Seven essential forms of magnesium included in this serving helps you relax, unwind, hopefully turn off your brain. Magnesium Breakthrough has become a household name over the years because of its reputation. Just recently, the company released the fourth upgrade formulation that works even better. Simple, cost-effective solution that I suggest you try. It may help. And for a limited time, by Optimizers, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, is offering additional bonus gifts for the next 1,000 customers or while supplies last. They are including three bottles of their full line of digestive health products, including their powerful digestive enzymes, massozymes, and their patented probiotic P3OM, which I take regularly, and their HCL product to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux. This means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive health and hopefully experience less bloating and gas. Having an optimized digestive system may also add to more energy and help you digest food, hopefully absorbing the nutrients you need. MagBreakthrough.com slash Drew. Enter Dr. Drew 10 to activate the exclusive limited time offer. This offer is only available at this special access website. It is MagBreakthrough.com slash Drew. One more time, MagBreakthrough.com slash Drew and use Dr. Drew 10 for 10% off any order. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, well, take your calls, and I thought I'd uh, chat for just a couple of minutes to the Corolla faithful. We have calls coming in, so just uh, hang on there. I'll get to them in a mere moment. We actually have calls, Gary. Okay. <laughs> um, I just wanted to chat for a minute. so much confusion about everything out there, and, and I've noticed how people are getting um, – you know, Adam and I talk about this, and, and people are getting sort of – more polarized, I guess the best way to say this. 
rather than coming towards the middle and looking more reasonably at the data and realizing that things change all the time, people are running into the corners. At least some people are. And I, for instance, just recently, I do a streaming show on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays and um, at 3 o'clock Pacific time. And I interviewed Dr. Kelly Victory, who's a friend and colleague. She's actually married to my best friend from medical school. We didn't know that until we reconvened years later, like around COVID. And she's a very an excellent uh, emergency room doctor who has a master's in public health from Harvard. And she's been sort of a eh, gadfly sort of voice. You know, she's, you know, describes what she sees and describes her concerns. She's not like, you know, McCullough and those guys and Malone. She, she's just sort of like, you know, just sort of concerned about things. And one, you know, really the same thing as me, just wondering why certain data is being ignored and other data is sort of uh, given priority position. And so – I interviewed her, and uh, I don't know what we said, but I was immediately kicked off YouTube. I, I think it had something to do with a study that she quoted that I'd never heard before, and I still wonder about it. I mean, one study does not a fact make, but it was a study that showed that liver cells have a reverse. Now, both she and I have been taking the position that mRNA vaccines cannot alter DNA because human cells don't have what's called a reverse transcriptase, which is this enzyme that takes the RNA and turns it into DNA. And even once you've turned it into DNA, you need special transport mechanisms to get that that DNA or RNA into or out of the nucleus. So I don't know how the RNA is getting into the nucleus. I, I don't get it. But once it there is there, apparently there is some sort of reverse transcriptase in liver cells, and there's some evidence that that may be happening. I still don't buy it, but we talked about it. I'm happy to, that to be alerted to that data and see if we get any follow-up studies. Uh, immediately kicked off YouTube, so uh, good times. But it made me think about um, wanting to talk to people about the reality we're in here. Let's kind of look back at things, right? Uh, the, the last two years, there was panic there was psych, there was collective psychosis. It wasn't uniformly distributed across all states or all countries, but it was pretty much worldwide. It seemed to have been caused by the action of the Chinese Communist Party in Wuhan, which sold their behavior as the answer to the viral outbreak. Our uh, collective agencies looked at what was going on there and decided, yep, they're doing a great job. That's the way to do this, that uh, they know what they're doing there in China and we should be doing the same. Now, <laughs> I, I hope everyone can see in retrospect, particularly after what they did in Shanghai, that that is just essentially local politicians making sure that the upper echelon leadership doesn't have to worry about anything. They they overdo what – is a bureaucracy. So they overdo what, everything – in an attempt to save their face and position, right? And so the upper management says, take care of this. Lower management has a huge reaction and closes everything down. Now, respiratory viruses can't be contained that way. You can kind of move the duration of things and how it's evolving, but the virus is going to do what the virus does. You've heard me say that to Adam many, many times. And it just did. And early on in highly concentrated environments, it was horrible. It was nasty. And we needed to really – the medical community, not the world, the medical community needed to focus on getting the needs of these people met. Now, 
We didn't really know what we were doing, right? So we were trying all kinds of things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. It's interesting. I spoke to an infection, a uh, pulmonary doctor that ran an ICU down at a major hospital in Houston. And he, he said to me out loud in his, one of my streaming shows, he said, um, uh, remember when we used to give everyone hydroxychloroquine? I said, oh, oh, we can say that out loud now? You can actually say that that's what we did? Because that's what they did. That's what everybody did because we had nothing else. We didn't know what to do. And then quickly we had corticosteroids and they seemed to help. And then we st- sort of had antibiotics we were throwing in there. But mostly physicians were improvising to try to help their patients. Well, because there was a, there's now a huge bureaucracy in medicine. And by the way, before I forget, let me before I'll talk about that bureaucracy in a second. But uh, now, because of YouTube kicking me off of off of the uh, platform, uh, I've decided to have a weekly show with Dr. Kelly Victory. And in that show, we are going to interview the people that have been kicked off all other social media, like Alex Berenson and uh, Peter McCullough and guys like that. I want to see what they've got to say. I don't necessarily agree with these people at all. I think they're extreme in their positions, but I, I want to hear it, and I want to do it with Kelly. And we're going to do it over on Rumble. So Rumble at 3 o'clock on Wednesdays, we're going to do this thing. I'd love to see you guys over there. And uh, yeah, let's have at it with these. And again, I'm going to be sort of a, a skeptical point of view, but you know, why not? Let's, let's have a conversation. Is that what – is, what is up where conversations have become dangerous? That's just, just a, a, a disgusting turn of events. But back to the bureaucracy of medicine. So as we, this thing was evolving two years ago – the bureaucracy stepped in and said, uh, only do what we tell you to do. Only because so uh, many doctors were working for bureaucracies, working for medical systems, working for hospitals, and they became scared shitless and they essentially told patients, go home. So what we saw as a result, right, go home, try, check your PO2, and if your PO2 goes into the 80s, come back. I've never, ever seen anything like that, particularly around infectious disease or even imagined anything like that ever. And all the while, let's also remind ourselves that you know social distancing, six feet social distancing, invented during this pandemic. You will not find an infectious disease textbook textbook on Earth that talks about that. It doesn't exist. Then the uh, the lockdown again that was invented by a guy named Green, or his daughter, a high school student, had a research project as a, as a high school student where she suggested or had did some research suggested that local school lockdowns could be a way to contain influenza outbreaks. He then extrapolated that. He worked for a, a think tank down in New Mexico in Albuquerque to a, a larger model of local lockdowns that the Bush administration adopted as a possible pandemic policy. Massive lockdowns such as we did in California and other states never contemplated. Never. Never. Never in history. And we did it, and it seems like we did it as sort of a, a Trump derangement syndrome or something. It was like a reaction to something. I mean, why did why did Gavin Newsom call in a hospital ship? Why did he? I mean, it, it, and why did the L.A. mayor talk about mass deaths? It's it's hopeless. There's going to be mass deaths no matter what you do. What the fuck was he talking about? What is wrong with him? And by the way, is that good leadership? Is that how you would talk about things if we really did had some sort of dangerous pandemic? But what we had was something that killed young people because they were not getting treated. They were being sent home. And by the way, remember that that doctor from Texas that started using inhaled corticosteroids? Turns out that works. Turns out he wasn't so crazy. Doesn't Not a great treatment. Hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. Ivermectin doesn't work. Doesn't hurt. 
These are medicines that have been used forever. Again, ivermectin, if you come into this country as a as a uh, refugee, you're required to take ivermectin for a week by the CDC, required. Uh, hydroxychloroquine, if you have lupus, you'll be on it for years. You, people, It's the first-line medication for people with mild lupus symptoms. Yes, it's safe medicines used forever. No good for this thing. Certainly not so good compared to Paxlovid. But again, here's Paxlovid where we have a good treatment. Now we're starting to worry about rebounding and whether or not it's so good that it's preventing the immune response. My own daughter got a second case of COVID like within a month after having been treated initially with Paxlovid. So it's a concern. Good treatment, concerns. All medical treatment, all medical treatment has concerns. Also, all medical treatments has have a veterinary application, pretty much all. And yet we don't describe them by their veterinary application. We don't call it a horse pill or a horse paste. Now, I looked at some of that data, and it turns out the most I could find was about a dozen reports to poison control in Tennessee and Mississippi of people questioning ingestions with horse paste. There is some data out there suggesting that people were getting hold of a horse paste, a veterinary version of ivermectin, out of desperation to use this medication. I, I'm sure it happened. It I, I probably didn't really hurt anybody. But just because there's a veterinary application of this commonly used medication, for whom the inventor developed, got the Nobel Prize, mind you, excellent anti-helminth medication, treats scabies, he treats roundworms. Because that medication has a veterinary application, that's all that CNN wants to talk about is the veterinary application. Pe- Pepsi has a veterinary application. Shall I start calling that a dog pill, a, pe- a horse pill? What, what the f- – I mean it's just weird. Anyway, all the way back to the medical bureaucracy. So centralized medicine scared the hell out of doctors and they started saying, uh, you know, just get them out of here. Just get, 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 get them – we can't do anything. Don't do anything. It's, da- you know, it's dangerous to do anything. We'll fire you if you do anything. And then academia got into it and they started kind of politicizing it, take, taking sides. They seem to have sort of Trump derangement also and going all the way to the side of the boat where anybody who contemplates anything like hydroxychloroquine should be punished. By, by the way, most academic physicians are several layers removed from actual care of patients, but okay. So uh, I think it was Dr. Pierre Corey who was really concerned about the way academic medicine behaved. So there we were, and we went through all this, uh, and thankfully the virus sort of mutated into a milder form. And yet you see now what the press is doing. Every time a new variant comes along, they make go to great attempts to use, look for the word grim. The word grim became a disgusting display of editorial excess. Look for the word grim whenever they start talking about a new variant or what's the other word they use when they're, when they're spectacular, things like that. Yeah, we have a – I mean go look at all the, the BA5 and BA4 reports that were out um, two months ago and about, oh, it's a more, more serious – it's the worst version ever. Yeah, it is the most contagious version. The r not for the original – Alpha and delta was three, meaning a given individual, interviews, it would generally infect three people uh, in for certain conditions. The R naught on BA4 or BA5 is 17. It's like measles. So it's not clear that you can do anything to prevent the transmission of that. Uh, and thankfully, it's mostly a cold in more, most people. 
Well, you might be surprised to learn the health insurance doesn't always cover the full cost of an emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with a substantial deductible or copay. Protect your family and your finances with Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if emergency arises, the expense of an air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership cost as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. We know the unexpected can happen, and AMCN membership protection no family should be without. For a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you will get up to a $75 e-gift card when you join. Makes it so inexpensive. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use the offer code Drew. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now we're from our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp, of course, is online therapy. And you know, I've been very impressed with the services they provide. I've been referring patients, family, friends, and uh, the services have been quite good. And there's so much to the advantages of using electronic media. People cannot, can no longer use um, their fear or stigma as an excuse. It's, it's just no excuse for not taking care of your brain, not taking care of your mental health. And BetterHelp, of course, is online therapy, offering video, phone, even chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to even see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. It's time to use this. BetterHelp, take care of yourself, take care of your brain. We take care of our bodies. Brain is part of the, well, the most important part of the body. Let's let's be fair. Take care of it. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash Drew. Now, of course, this sort of gets into the, the issue of vaccines and what kinds of vaccines. Look for Covaxin. Look for Novavax. These are more traditional platforms if you have concern about mRNA vaccines. It does look like mRNA vaccines and boosters, any vaccine and boosters. Now, the Johnson & Johnson has been taken away. That's the one I got. Of course, I had terrible side effects from it. And to say there aren't side effects is is a lie. There are side effects. There are lots of side effects. And they may be serious. We don't think they're serious. And remember, when these vaccines were rolled out, we were essentially in a wartime footing, really. They were willing to take more risk, both in terms of rolling things out before they really knew, and in terms of recommending, in spite of significant side effects, because the containment was such a priority and the possibility was worse were people not vaccinated. But back to the original thing, let's remind ourselves that it mostly killed old people, almost exclusively. And when it did kill young people, it was because they were following the directive of centralized bureaucratic medicine, which was go home. If they had been treated earlier, if they had been followed carefully, most of the young deaths may not have happened. And so that's where I'm, I, I'm really still very upset about this. So rather than protecting the – we're doing the same thing with mon- monkeypox right now. You can't – you're not allowed to say who the at-risk population is because the, you can't say – it could affect anybody. Everything is being looked at through the prism of equity and that results in horrible protection and care for the actual people who are at risk. Right now, we have skin-to-skin contact in gay population. It should be contained there. They should be vaccinated. They should be educated. They should be given treatment immediately. And behavior should be adjusted for a little while. It doesn't have to be very long. It's a very short-lived medica- short-lived illness. So if we can sort of get people apart from each other for a few weeks, we should be doing much, much better. And uh, naturally, people do tend to do that. That's why lockdowns were never contemplated because people – there's a guy named uh, uh, Gene uh, – 
genius? Brilliant. Garrett, Dr. Brilliant, uh, who studied smallpox, who said whenever there's an outbreak, people naturally reduce their social contact. We, we're not, we are intelligent, sentient beings. We naturally do that. So anyway, uh, here we are. So now we are back to vaccinating people. And it does look like the vaccine has had significant benefits in terms of reducing the uh, seriousness of the illness. Now, along the same course, the the illness has also sort of shifted to being a much less serious problem. It's much more of a cold, much more of an upper respiratory infection, though I have seen some pretty nasty Omicron cases in unvaccinated. That, That does happen. So let's be clear about that. The question now is starting to emerge, though. At what risk? You know, what risk are we taking with these vaccines? And now it's an appropriate time to ask that question because the the vaccines are so much uh, – they're, they're treating an illness that is so much less dangerous, so much less virulent. And I'm worried. I, I am worried that there are – I mean, for instance, just look at myocarditis, right? So there, every publication you see on myocarditis in young males sort of always had – has sort of a sideways editorial comment – uh, eh, but it was it was mild and it resolved. Myocarditis. If but prior to this whole shit show with the vaccines and COVID, like prior to 2019, a case of myocarditis in a 20 year old would be a f- tremendous medical emergency. I mean, it would it would be something that people would come to. There'd be multiple consultants. It would be dealt with as the most serious of potential problems both in terms of acutely arrhythmias and sudden death and chronically the damage from the inflammation potentially causing something called cardiomyopathy, which needs ultimately in a young person would need a cardiac transplant. It would have been a a hair raiser. Now it's like, oh, and it was only three for 3,000 and and they were mild and they resolved. and Anyway, so let's not worry about it. Um, it, Let's worry about it. Let's do worry about it. And then I've seen lots of people passing out with POTS-like syndrome. Now, to be fair to both the myocarditis and the POTS, both seem to be also related to COVID itself. And so huh? So we really need to talk about the risk-reward analysis. What is the risk-reward of vaccine versus leaving somebody potentially vulnerable to the illness? That's all. That's all we got to do. And – we should be looking at any long-term consequence from the from the uh, vaccines as well, but we, of course, not looking at any of that presently. So, yeah, this all has me sighing. So I I, I do believe oh, – I'll make a prediction. I believe – because medicine does kind of chug along. We do look at things inevitably. We will look at the vaccine and there will be concerns. And it will adjust the vaccine policies for younger people – the question is, will anybody apologize for the man demands to vaccinate people under a certain age where the risk reward doesn't? You're taking a healthy person who would have probably no problem with this cold and you're exposing them to this potential risk. I, it, it's incredible. Now, insurance companies, interestingly, if you, know, if you want to look at data, it's, it, you shouldn't look at medicine necessarily. Look at actuarials and insurance data because they have to get it right or they lose their business. And they seem to be uh, – this is something that Scott Adams points out all the time. They seem to, to be tilting towards uh, vaccination. They, they are not yet calling you – know, there, there has been all this excess death. There have been an excess heart attacks, excess strokes. There's no doubt that both the virus more so and the vaccine maybe cause endothelial processes that increase clot formation. I definitely had that when I had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. 
And maybe some of this stroke and heart attack is either related to COVID or post-COVID or even the vaccine. We don't know. And I know people are very worried about this sudden adult death syndrome, which does seem to be a little excessive. But again, since when did we ever report that on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter? And so we might just be getting a, a cognitive bias from seeing it all being reported so much. But somebody needs to look into it and not just pretend it's nothing and just say it's nothing. Same thing applies to masking. Uh, I I tweeted I retweeted a couple of threads yesterday last last well it's now it's last month, uh, <clears throat> and those threads um, are it's so clear. One was an environmental engineer about surgical masks. He was he was showing environmental engineer in fact using CDC's own criteria, and it showed so clearly that that surgical masks do nothing, both in terms of preventing you and preventing spread. And and people and I want to point out very quickly those people that say, well, why, why do surgeons wear surgical masks? Then, so they don't spit on the surgical field, and so the bacteria, not the viruses, the bacteria in their mouth don't fall into the surgical field. So the dental bacteria doesn't cause infection in the surgical space. That's why surgeons wear masks, not to prevent viruses from spreading in the room or from a respiratory virus getting into the patient's respiratory system. No, 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 no. Okay, so um, – and and I got another – there was a meta-analysis. Um, follow – follow. look, follow Vinay Prasad. Follow Al – Alasader, Alasader, Al Monroe, M U N R O, infectious disease fellow, research fellow. He he did an analysis of a of a meta analysis, meaning a, a, a put a, a study that put together a whole series of other uh, studies and and then drew conclusions that were based on a p value of zero point nine four, meaning not significant. So you can say exactly nothing based on the studies that they presented. But then he found he went in deeper and um, found some of the studies that they were um, um, putting together. Right, so they put together like a dozen studies and then sort of did a meta analysis, a large analysis of all of them. And uh, and I got to read this; it's so funny. This here is one of the studies. Ready? Despite the claimed triple extraction of data, the extracted data is not robust. The authors reference twenty two. And this is the this is one of the studies they put together. Claimed to report a case of a what is this? Of eleven people on a charter flight, but is reported as zero infections from twenty participants. So I looked up the paper, this guy's saying. Examining the paper, it's actually a letter, not even a study, just a letter describing a tracheostomy technique while in military gas masks. While it includes interesting photos, it doesn't actually report any data that could possibly be included in a quantitative synthesis. So the point being that one of the several studies they put together wasn't even what they said it was. And what they said it was wasn't even useful. They were talking about people in an airplane and they first said 11 people, but then they, they said 20 and yet the study said 11. And then it turned out when they actually looked at the study they quoted, it was a tracheostomy study with the caretakers in gas masks. So uh, – and by the way, you can take you, – you can protect yourself. I'll say it again. I've said it a million times. If you care to protect yourself – just the way a doctor or a nurse does when he or she walks into a room with somebody with an infectious disease, you can do so by putting a well-fitting N95-style mask or something higher up the scale on yourself. That's how we protect ourselves. That's why every doctor taking care of 
COVID patients doesn't get COVID, only occasionally sometimes, but you have to do it perfectly 100% of the time. So for us, it's easy. It's because when we walk in the room, that's when we do it. And we, you know, when we walk out, we take it off. We certainly don't take it off while in the room. Now, even then, it's possible to transmit because these masks are not 100% effective. But uh, if you are using an N95 and then going ahead and eating and drinking on the plane, just forget it. Forget it. You've not, you've completely taken away the benefit by not using it perfectly. It's like it kind of look. Just don't even don't even seatbelts to get the benefit have to be worn a hundred percent of the time. That's just a statistical phenomenon, and you can see from the description of you know say entering a room with a virus, you have to have it on. You take it off, the virus gets in. It's pretty simple. And uh, by the way, there's an interesting thing happening with immunity happening to me personally. I've had COVID twice so far. I'll probably get it again, no doubt. But I was exposed. Way exposed. I was stuck in a room with my wife for three days while she had Omicron, strongly positive on the antigen test. And then my daughter had it a couple weeks later from a wedding we were at where everybody got it. I was exposed to my daughter and actually shared utensils with her. I got it from neither of them. And I I have a hybrid immunity. I took the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I got Alpha and then I've had Omicron a year ago, over a year ago. Wow, it's a year and a half ago. And it seems like I don't know that that this this native immunity, you know, it really does seem to have some significant benefit above vaccine, or at least with vaccine. And I've not been boosted, right? And so I've not. It's interesting. And in fact, we really only know what we're doing with boosters with elderly patients, where the risk reward is clearly on the side of boosting. So all my seventy plus year olds, I boost, I boost the hell out of them. But even them. Right now, I'm telling to hold off for a couple months because we want to get the Omicron specific. They're, they're, you know, why keep boosting against a variant that's not around anymore? Not only that, the benefits to both T cell and B cell immune function that we've sort of documented from the boosters, not clear a third and fourth booster make any difference. In fact, there's some concern that it might might reduce some of that uh, more more robust immune immunity that we have. Okay. Um, they're also – last thing I want to say is that there's some reports of disability now, like airlines are reporting disability. We don't really – we don't know what this is. So don't don't jump to any conclusions until we really have good data. I'm, the, all my – this little diatribe I'm giving you today is just to sort of put things in context, to understand that things are complicated and the, the data is evolving uh, with masks, it, it's really not evolving. We had, you know, we've had multiple, multiple, multiple studies now, all of which show very clearly they don't do anything on a mass basis, and that surgical and cloth masks do nothing anyway, no matter how you cut it. And 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 now we're also just to put a little icing on this cake. Now we're starting to get the data coming in on the mental health consequences of all this, which I. I knew from the beginning that the panic, it's what I was warning against and how I got in trouble because I got a little bit upset and I became a little too hyperbolic, not even hyperbolic, hubristic. I was, you know, too much certitude in what I was saying and that I have learned from. Uh, but the concern I had, the reason I was getting that way, I mean, you got to think about why was I doing that? What would, what would motivate me to do it? I was upset. I could tell that the press was creating a panic. I could tell that the reaction was going to be vastly overdone and I knew that people running – you know, like like a like a crowd running all in one direction, people would get trampled. And now the data is starting to come in on the mental health consequences, the unbelievable and profound effects we've had on young people by closing schools. Whether or not we can get things back is unknown. What the long-term consequences of those maneuvers are are as yet unknown, and we're really suffering through it economically still. What I would love to see 
um, is – and particularly men, millennials have been just destroyed by this whole experience. I would like to see people getting excited about reengaging again, sort of getting back into living, sort of, sort of uh, you know, that, that having not just purpose but being kind of excited about purpose or building and, and, and engage. They're so withdrawn right now. They see everything as helpless and useless. They're being told – that the world is coming to an end, that climate's going to end everything, uh, and that then they've seen you know this this horrible experience that they had with at least if you lived in California, states like that. If you lived in Florida, probably this is not going to have so much meaning for you. But I saw what happened in a state like this, which is still under emergency measures. <clears throat> Hopefully, I maybe by the time this podcast comes out, maybe he will finally have re- eliminated this because it's 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 fascistic. It's fascism. And why this isn't seen as – you know, here's, here's one last thing. Again, I keep saying a last thing, but just one more last thought. Is that it's hard to tell – look, the reason that the Democratic uh, Socialist Party uh, was developed in Germany was because people were so afraid of communism. The communists were the bad guys and then the socialists were the bad guys and then the Democratic uh, Socialist or the DSR, is that they're called? The Democrat, it's Hitler's party. Were the good guys because they were going to help against these bad guys. Be very concerned about everybody calling each other fascist. Uh, it, I can't tell who the fascist is anymore. I cannot tell. It's impossible to know who the good guy and the bad guys is. The good guys sort of set up the system in this country. Say what you will about their shortcomings. The system is brilliant. If we got excited about the system again and got reengaged in the system again and understood what the system offered us, meaning a democratic republic that we have, and that the 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 more perfect union amongst the states and the states solving problems and local democracy being the practice that we all engage in, things will start to work again as they always have. And I'm hoping that you know we have so much opportunity and so much interesting things going on technologically that young people will once again start to want to do things and build things and change things and contribute things and get excited about things. That that's when that's when I'll know that we're. We're doing better, that we're back in sort of um, – we can take a deep breath. Let's put it that way. All right. So I will take – having said all that, uh, sorry to ramble on and give you guys uh, such a such a lengthy diatribe. Uh, Gary, I think I'd like to go to calls. How does that sound? Uh, sorry. Gary gives me a thumbs up. Let's go to Ben. Ben, sorry about that, uh, that long-winded uh, little diatribe. What's going on? Uh, absolutely no problem at all, Dr. Drew. Uh because uh, last time I talked to you, it was you, Adam, and Adam got tired of hearing me talking. So <laughs> okay, we're good. good. Excellent. All right, what's up? Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, thank you for taking my call. And uh, without having Adam here, i got to say just on his behalf, tiroiditis and mRNA. Dr. Drew, are you a real doctor or are you just a love doctor? I'm just a love doctor. That's right. Thank you for that. I. Well, the reason I say it is because it, it, it's the reason I'm calling. It, who, who can people that are a particular age range, like where can you to get fact information anymore that doesn't have some sort of political spin on it? Or, yeah. oh, my, we, we, we all got to get out and get vaccinated. And then you, you go, hey, well, guys, let's pump the brakes. Let's take a look at this. And all of a sudden, everyone wants to burn you at the stake. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I'll, I'll get to my question in just a second. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to give you some, uh, information on, uh, mm-hmm. just because it's interesting that uh, he's still going through all this. Uh, tennis player 
Novak Djokovic. Uh, yeah. He still hasn't been vaccinated. Yeah, he's a professional tennis professional tennis. Player. He's been having a lot of issues. Uh, actually, been barred. From into, hey, hey, Ben, uh, any, Ben, uh, Ben, your phone is every. Th- we're missing every third word. Is there a way we can make that a little better? Uh, yeah, let me. Sorry, Doctor Drew. Okay. Yeah, I've, I'm aware of his situation and uh, how bizarre it is, and how you know how <laughs> unfounded. And the, the whole and remember, their logic is he'll transmit. He'll he'll get it. And he'll transmit it to other people because the vaccine it stops here. Ask uh, what's her name from uh, MSNBC. The va- vaccine the the virus stops here at the vaccinated. Uh, no, it doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And uh, and and it's been the same. It was the same issue with uh, Tour de France just wrapped up. Is a couple players uh, fell out of the competition because they came down with COVID. They were trying to figure out better protocols for everyone that get masked. But it, now we're hearing nothing of what you're saying. Glance, now, now you're completely blocking uh, out. Now, now you, now you, now <laughs> we hear nothing. I'm sorry, but, Dr. Drew. but but I do. If it was Tour de France and what the bicyclers are supposed to wear masks, uh, this virus does not well, no, tra- transmit in moving air. It no, does not. The, yeah, it was uh, basically people were starting to get sick, and they wanted to figure out how to make things more secure in all the secure areas. But as they ride their bikes, people are on the sidelines cheering them on. That's right. all. That's all exha- uh, exhaling and breath. breath outdoors, 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 outdoors. Well, hey, listen. One of the, I, I tweeted this uh, mechanical engine. I didn't really finish my thought on this, but I tweeted an environmental. Yes, I did. I think I finished my thought. The environmental engineers' take on these masks, and they do nothing. And even the, I mean, they they may actually increase aerosolization. They just do nothing. And so it's it, this whole thing. It, if it, if they did something, I would be very in favor of using them. Why wouldn't I? What is it? Some. I mean, I know a lot of people get weird about you know. They're constraining me, and they might look. If it worked and it's an effective treatment, fuck yes, let's do it. But if if it is only constraining and upsetting to people and doing nothing, well, then why would we do that to somebody? Except, yeah, hey, you're uh, you're not listening to me, and I'm the authority. You got to listen. And 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 that actually, as as you're saying that, that actually brought in a, a stark kind of thought that I had just now of. Uh, when when Rob Riggle talked to Adam about working the pile, and he had that stupid little 3M $10 mask for 100 pack, yeah. like one of those stupid little construction worker masks on, he just he looked around and was like, "What's the point? What am I wearing this for? What 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 am I doing?" Yeah, yep. Like this this isn't a real mask. Like, and and hey, so you had, you had a question a, here on the board about boomers. Yeah, it, Exactly. Sorry, Gary. Gary's looking at me, probably tearing, or looking at us, tearing his hair out. Okay. I'm sorry, Gary. Now that I can hear um, you, now that I can hear you, let's get the question. Yeah. Uh, long story short, uh, Doctor Drew, um, I'm just trying to figure out generationally what's what's so different. Uh, it, it, Adam has said on his show numerous times that it, when when he was younger, he'd get yelled at about taking a glass. I now he looks at it like what what I put kind of stress on Sonny and Natalia. Right. Uh, it's, it's something I'm going through personally as well, too. I'm, I'm making some, some big positive changes, but also in the wake of it, I, uh, I've been in therapy and everything else with my family, and, and we've even had conversations about, like at one point they directly said to me, this is, this is your deal, not ours. And the irony is 
through the therapy, I've been armed with kind of tools to make my life better and, and go on and, and be better in life. And any type of attempt to have those positive interactions with them is met with this, like, why, why are we talking about old news? Like, it's, it's really weird because when I see things we have caused situations with their, their friends or, or coworkers, and I go, oh, this kind of reminds me of this one thing they told me about in therapy. It, it's just met with this. That was your thing. Like we don't, we're we're fine. We've we've got friends. Who, like who, who are they? Who do you say they? Who who is they? Uh, oh, my parents. Uh, so they're career professionals. And, so your question and is, their why, why do outlook has uh, always? Why do why sorry, do Drew. why are boomers less open to psychotherapy? Is that what's what's the question? I don't get it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That, that combined with just the fact that uh, everything is kind of put on, on social, like everyone's talking about the great resignation and these aren't resignations from, from fortune 500 companies. A lot of them are just resignations from traditional, like basic jobs. And I talked to my parents about it and, and they just said, it doesn't really matter because they don't have real jobs. when I was trying to figure out what the definition of a real job was, hmm. that's when it was to me that, for example, the job uh, I've had in the past working re- retail isn't a real job. Hmm. And it's when I found out, like, uh, one of my my dad actually actively uses social hierarchy as, like, a status symbol. And so it, it led me to believe that that's, that's more the energy. Like, if... if if people come well, over and we don't, yeah. So, so you're, you're saying that aren't broken so or something saying, else like that, so you're saying, we're going to be thought less of. Like, so you're is saying, the motivation really that they're worried about Adam breaking the glass, or that they just they, they don't they don't want to be looked for only having plastic cups because the kids right. broke them all? Right. Okay. So, so like it, no. So, so here's the thing. Um, yeah, Drew. Having been in Adam's shoes in different situations, but. Um, the parents had kids were um, disempowered, and there was no problem. Um, just sort of yelling at them. There's a lot of yelling back then. Yeah, there was there's no sense that that it, there was an entitlement of being a parent, and the kids were lucky enough to be cared for and clothed and fed, and anything else was gravy, and you'd spoil them. There was really a lot of talk about spoiling, spoiling, you're spoiling, you're spoiling, you're spoiling. And spoiling essentially meant you gave a kid a toy. If you gave a kid a toy, oh, you're spoiling them. Why would you do that? And if if you gave kids lots of toys, the people would just like shake their head. Now, there was also a – what would the neighbors think? This you, something you would never say today was said all the time. What will the neighbors think? What will the neighbors think if we don't yep. dress properly? And then you'd have to go once a week to maybe church or something, and you have to be dressed a certain way, present a certain way. You know, there there was shame, and there was community pressure, and there was community, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that was all figuring in, and particularly generation before. Not the 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 boomers' parents, not even just the boomers. We're, I'm talking about the boomers' parents. The generation before yeah. that was extraordinarily formal in many parts of the country. Extraordinary, and yes, hierarchies existed, and they determined their worth sometimes based on those hierarchies. I would say there wasn't that much of that in the boomer age group per se. It was really a generation prior to that, but the, but the boomers at least. 
you would hear things. Um, who was it? Uh, the famous, it was a famous writer that said, "It's not just enough that you have to win; it's that your friends have to lose." And that that idea oh, yeah. that that's envy. That's envy. And envy was starting to percolate around during the boomer years, but nothing like now. Nothing. Gore Vidal. Gore Vidal. Thank you. We said that. Um, and so, yeah, these are these are pertinent observations, and of course, they're generational changes. <laughs> I don't know if you said that book, The Fourth Turning. It's about how generations change in terms of their historical contributions and context. Um, it's not turning out to be quite the way it was predicted in that book. So it's um, it's odd uh, that that we thought it was going to be. I, I don't know quite what to think of this current turning. I I do have high expectations and high hopes that, uh, like I said at the end of my little diatribe, that we will find our way through to engage. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Alan, what's going on? Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, man. Um, thanks for taking my call. Mm. Um, I want to just say thanks for what you said before you started taking the calls. I'm I'm a recovering alcoholic, ah. and I see um, the world through a different lens individually. Yeah. Um, I'm, ve- I'm very grateful. Um, you know, my life's been saved. Uh, I'm in uh, recovery, so every day I wake up and I do what uh, – Start off with some mindfulness, and uh, I pray. And uh, how, how long have you been sober? I just uh, about seventeen months. Congratulations! So uh, you know the big thing yeah, with got, sobriety. Got, that's long. I got another week here, and uh, um, but you know I went to an AA meeting this morning. Good. Uh, they did the birthdays uh, for July last night. Good. And um, so, so you know, it was a good meeting. This so morning. share share with us your your feelings about things because you know uh, recovering alcoholics have lots of faith and gratitude. And so you tend to – and clarity too. And so I'm wondering how you see the world right now. What, what are you sort of – what are you worried about? What are you seeing? What are you thinking? Well, I'm grateful. Um, being grateful is a big key. It, it's you know a grateful drunk usually will stay uh, sober. But, but I understand um, you're thinking about yourself. But how do you see the world now that you've sort of changed the prism through which you look at it? Well, Dr. Drew, you know, uh, and if you go through the steps, you'll learn that fear drives us a lot. Yep. And right now, fear is a very pervasive element in society. Interesting. Um, And I see that boogeyman um, chasing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of of things, you know, people and principles and institutions. Interesting. Um, So so, both sides, are both sides fearful, do you think? I'm sorry. The extremes on both sides is that fear-driven to some extent. Yeah, well, a lot of it is emotion-driven. Yeah, of course. From the fear, of course. And you know, there's. Um, I mean, I, I'm. I've got so much to learn. I'm 40 years old, so I'm. I'm not going to speak like I'm a. I'm a super smart person. I know that when my father passed away in 2016. I crawled into a bottle, and um, I, I, I wish I hadn't. I made a lot of mistakes, and I didn't care. Um, it, it, it's all good, my friend. You're, you're here now. Oh, yeah. No, no, I know. Um, look, he was my best friend. Yeah. And it was... Um, oh, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Well, you know, it, I, I hate that there are um, people that just um, don't appreciate things. 
Mm-hmm. Like a mother and a father, especially yeah. if you had yeah. the, the fortunate nature of having ones that played um, a significant role in your life. Yeah. And um, I'll just leave that at that. You know, Alan, it's, it's so very, it's I was very fortunate. It, it, it's funny. And, you know, one, um, one of the things I tell Adam, so, one of the things I tell Adam is, you know, the one favor our parents did because we both had parents that, that did not do what your dad did, and uh, it made it not so traumatic when they passed. It was just sort of. They did us that favor. That's one one benefit <laughs> of having been raised like that. But here we are. Hey, you had a question about. Uh, I did. I did. I'll, I'll get to it because mine mine's a little bit more. I think uh, lighthearted to, to segue out of that. All right. Um, I want to play just an easy game of what if for you. All right. Look, everything all the same politically with the vaccination. Yeah. The the, the you know all the way down from the first round of shots to now, if President. Donald Trump had been reelected. Yeah. And, the, you know, because prior to the election, a lot of people weren't going to take the vaccine. Obviously, he wasn't reelected and, and we got what we got. But just to now, the the level of, of, of just arguing and divide. What do you what do you think? I mean, we, this what if game is constantly played. So I don't know if you got a quick and easy one. I'd love to hear it. Well, so what you're asking is what would the the anti-vaxxers, anti-mRNA vaxxers be doing now if if they were MAGA and Trump was president? So in other words, would they be like, oh, my, you know, I trust Trump and therefore I trust this vaccine? I don't think it would be that simple. I think it would fracture into a whole bunch of different things because anti-vaxxers <laughs> are generally, I mean, the, the real anti-vaxxers would remain anti-vax. They just, they just would. That's just how they look at things, and they cannot be convinced otherwise. And it's cognitive dissonance. You can, you know, you can get them to sort of pick up on one vaccine, but they'll generally still remain anti-vax and distrusting and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that some of the, I think some of the stuff, the lockdowny kind of stuff, would have gotten worse because it all kind of came from trunk arrangement in the first place. So if he were still president, we'd have all these governors trying to prove themselves against Trump. So my, I have a more sanctuary city. I have more lockdown. I have more vaccine distribution. I have more mask wearing or whatever. It'd be, whatever it is would be the opposite of what Trump was. And that would have been insufferable. And that scares me if he comes back. Uh, that, that we'll wow. have more of that kind of stuff. So it would be very weird. It'd be very interesting. Uh, and there would be there would be a subset of the current anti-mRNA vaxxers, so to speak, they would be wagging their finger. They would be. You're right. I think they, there's a group of them would be going. You should be taking your vaccine. That are now the ones going. I, I'm not. I'm uh, not me. I'm going to hold off. I'm going to check and see. I tell you, the only group that would not have changed would be the African American community because they have a history with the medical system that is. Uh, I'm just going to use a word that doesn't even come close to describing it. Problematic. And as a result, they don't trust the medical system, and they shouldn't, based on the way they've been treated by the medical system. Though that's improving. And some of it is because we're getting much better with our diversity amongst uh, the physicians we are training and the medical caretakers. Some of it is that, but not all of it. Some of it is just being more consistent and, and empathic to, to the, the distrust that's there. That would not have changed, and that group would have remained anti-vax. Uh, thanks, buddy. Uh, Joe, what's going on? Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, man. Um, I am. I've got two girls uh, in kinder, going into kindergarten and fourth grade, and I am joining the PTA this year. Mm, I'm supposed to be in charge of healthy lifestyle. Oh boy! So in the past, that's you know, <laughs> organizing a 5K or something like that. But I, I wanted to think of ways 
and I hopped in over the summer of ways I could make, you know, more of an impact. Um, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts. I can give you mine to buy you some time, but I was trying to think of one or two things I could introduce to really, <laughs> it's kind of a broad subject. So um, I was thinking about having them, trying to get them to write down their resentments and their gratitudes. And I know you, you know, with the last caller kind of talked about who, who, gratitude. Who have who do that? Well, have, have the school age kids. Um, I don't know. My idea was with resentment was to, you know, to write it down to kind of express their resentment. And then I think, I think you're, you're I, I think if you were dealing with eighth graders, that would make sense. It does not make sense under third grade. These are not; okay. they are not engaged in that kind of. That's not how their brains work. So I think right there is an opportunity, is to maybe get a child or adolescent psychologist in there or psychiatrist to talk about talk to the parents about the child brain and and what it responds to and and what it's looking for and how how to keep it healthy. I think that'd be that'd be the way I'd do it. That'd be the one thing I would do. And um, you're in Texas. I see you're in Dallas. So. It's, you don't have to worry so much about them freaking you out about freaking everybody out about COVID. They seem like pretty cool right. there about that and have been most of the time. Hey, uh, Joe, I'm sorry. I have to wrap this thing up. I appreciate you with the call. I appreciate all you guys calling. I hope I didn't uh, uh, sort of derail everybody with my little diatribe today, but I thought I would give my thoughts all in one sitting. I've got other thoughts too, but that's just sort of what I was thinking about this morning, and I hope that was helpful to everybody. And uh, as always, we appreciate you being here for this podcast. We'll do more call shows in the future as well as, of course, having our guests that we love uh, talking to. And do do check out that streaming show I was talking about with Dr. Kelly Victory. Uh, it's going to be Wednesdays at 3 o'clock Pacific time. It's on Rumble because we can't do it on YouTube. And we'll try to get some interesting voices in there and see uh, see what – See what the alternative uh, voices are saying and just give them a chance to speak and I'll, I'll sort of poke at them a little bit and listen to them. And I, I'm sure I won't agree with everything, but that's not, that's not how you build – that's not how I expand my mind. I don't, I don't expand anything by just talking to people I agree with. That just, that's just running in place. I want to expand my, my position and uh, hopefully I can do that and yours and we will see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. The biggest movies are streaming free on Pluto TV's Popcorn Summer Movies. Watch star-studded blockbusters like Titanic and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Or fall in love with charming rom-coms like Hitch and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. The best part? Pluto TV is 100% free. No credit cards, not even a sign-up. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies, TV shows, and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.